Hi, this is Ian Harvey, Tokyo US Brand Manager. I'm here with the lovely Antje Harvey. Antje skied for and lived in former East Germany until the wall came down in November 1989. After she skied for the Unified Germany. In 1985 Nordic World Championships, she won bronze with the East German relay team. She was blackballed by the East German government and ski teams for refusing to take performance enhancing drugs and eventually retired. She came back to do biathlon around when the wall fell and won individual gold and three silver Olympic medals in 1992 and 1994. In 1995, she retired from racing and moved to the United States. She became a US citizen in 2000. She lives in Heber City, Utah with her husband. I'm the lucky guy. She's got two daughters, or we have two daughters, Hazel and Pearl. Pearl is the defending US U20 girls junior national champion. Antje's story is one of the most amazing and inspirational sports stories that I know of. And I'm lucky to call her my wife for many reasons. Thanks, honey, for being here. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to, <laughs> of course. So the listeners, those that are watching video might be wondering why we're not in the same room. I decided it would make sense to keep the same format as compared to having us sit next to another would be a little awkward. So... Um, she's at home and I'm in my office, which is in my backyard. So that's how we're doing it. And those pictures, Auntie, what are those pictures behind you in general? You're in our living room, kitchen? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's our living room and it's kind of our wall of fame from all the adventures we took together. So a lot of good memories. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so where did you grow up and how did you start ski racing? I grew up in a small city called Ilmenau in the, Tur in the Turingia forest area, which is uh, only 20, 25 miles away from Oberhof, which many of the listeners maybe know of because their World Cup events were there. And um, yeah, I, I started at local club races when I was about five years old. Okay. What age were you when you started roller skiing and where were this done? I was about seven years old and we were lucky enough to have roller ski loops in, in Oberhof and later on in, uh, in our other little town called Stützerbach, which, uh, which you moved to when I was about 11 years old. So I had real, very good conditions for roller skiing. One reason why I wanted to ask that question is because in the United States, it's unheard of, especially at that time, for seven-year-olds to be roller skiing. Absolutely unheard of. I think I might be the earliest person I'd ever heard of to roller ski, and I was, I think, 11 or maybe 12, and that was really, really unusual. I was the youngest in my family, so the fact you started when you were seven in on a roller ski loop, which didn't even exist in the United States, is remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> Auntie, you skied world juniors in cross country in Norway in 1984 and in Switzerland in 1985, as well as you did a few World Cups and World Championships in 1985. These were your first international trips competing for East Germany, and they were also your first exposure to the West. What was this like as an East German? I mean, first off, it was, it was uh, like a dream come true because every goal, everyone's goal as a, you know, East German athlete was to, to be able to go and see the West at some point. And um, I was able to do it when I was uh, 17 years old and, and it was just an explosion of colors and different, different things. Uh, the only 
bad thing was that we were not allowed to talk to any other athletes or, or people um, outside of, of the East German or, or East Bloc countries. So that was quite difficult uh, to, to make the differentiation. And, uh, and we were always watched by some Stasi people who accompanied our team. So we had to be very careful. As a junior athlete of only 17 years old, you competed in the World Championships in Seefeld, Austria in 1985 and did extremely well. Individually, you finished 11th, as well as you skied a very strong relay leg for the team, which took the bronze medal. Can you talk about this experience? So I was very, I felt very honored to be able on the, on the national team at, at that age and skiing the World Championships for seniors. And um, the 5K race where I was able to finish 11th was, uh, was my first race where I only uh, waxed the outside of my skis. And I ended up not using the wax. I was able to skate through the whole race. And uh, really where we went, won bronze, um, we didn't wax our skis at all. And that was so, therefore it was the first race I ever skated all the way through without wax. Cool. After the 1985 season, some suspicions were on you for not wanting to take performance enhancing drugs. And the issue was put to you directly by the leaders of the East German ski team. You said you didn't want to take them. They kicked you out and black blackballed you from the sport in East Bloc countries. Describe this experience and your subsequent efforts to study and continue skiing before you finally give up completely. So because I was kicked out, uh, I wasn't able to compete in the East German Championships. So I was trying to focus uh, on doing some world little bit kind of races, which I which was able to do. And uh, one funny experience was I skied the Gizerska in the Czech Republic, uh, close to Liberec, and I was uh, neck, neck on neck with uh, the best Czech skier. And right before the finish line, it was custom back then to, to get a winner's wreath uh, kind of thrown around your neck. And um, the guy who did that did it a little too early and ran right in front of me. And therefore, I, I wasn't able to come over the finish line first. But I was, had to stop to not run him over. So that was not a fun experience. Um, but nevertheless, something I don't want to miss. <laughs> Uh, that I experienced it. Um, so he prevented you from, yeah. from winning the race. Yeah. I would say certainly on purpose because he was, he was supposed to do that. Yeah, by order I, of the, I, I'm sure. By order of the communist bosses. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. But then I, um, it didn't work out very well for me to, to continue to cross-country ski and, and, and race because I studied in a, in a city really close to Berlin where there was no snow and conditions really to, to train for. If I remember correctly, you were also told around the time, or I think it was before that guy wiped you out at the finish line, that the name, your last name would never be found again on a results sheet, on a ski results sheet. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, part of being, uh, you call it blackball, right? 
Yeah. yeah so uh, all the journalists were instructed not to mention the name, my, my last name in any result sheets and, and, you know, just newspaper articles at all. So then you studied for another two years or so in Potsdam University, which is outside of Berlin, uh, and give up sport completely. Yes, I, I, I did. I mean, I wasn't really living a, a life, life as an athlete would. I mean, I was like, um, you know, partying a lot and not focused on athletics at all. Going back to World Championships in Seyfeld, um, all of your Seyfeld Relay teammates had big issues with having children. Our children are thankfully healthy. I have always been so thankful for your decision to avoid performance enhancing drugs for this reason especially. Can you please talk, obviously this is a sensitive matter, but about the problems that your teammates had as well as how grateful you are? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm beyond happy that I made that choice back then, um, not really knowing the consequences, of course. Uh, and not just only, not just uh, Seyfeld uh, team members, but also other club athletes for the club I skied for had, uh, had kids born with disabilities, uh, stillborn babies, babies with open stomach, um, uh, kids with clubfoot. I mean, it's just tragic. And, and obviously I'm really, really happy that I didn't take those drugs. And your bronze winning teammates had, all three of them had uh, examples of what you just listed. Two of them, two of them, yeah. One of them, yeah, no. I can say I'm very grateful that we have two healthy children. Not that unhealthy children are not a reason to be grateful for, but um, of course the goal is to have healthy children and the goal is also not to cause unhealthy children through taking drugs and things like that. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you made the choices that you made and you were available to avoid having to take drugs because they were trying to make you. Um, of course, the consequences of competing dirty aren't even as big as the consequences of your children when they have to live their whole lives with health problems because of bad choices. So I'm very, very grateful yes, for that. Yeah. yeah, so am I. <laughs> Shortly after you were kicked out of the team, the team changed from giving steroid pills which you were able to simulate swallowing and then later spit out when they were doing controls to injections, which would have made it impossible for you to hide not taking them. So once again, I'm grateful you got out at the right time when you did for your and the kids' health. Yes. So <laughs> when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, you were in Russia at a training camp and had a unique perspective of this historic event. Can you please describe how things unfolded from where you were at? I still remember exactly how it happened. We were in a hotel room, my teammate Kelsey Mooring and I, and we had a TV running in the background. It was late at night, and all of a sudden we saw some drunk idiots climbing over a wall, and we thought a soccer game cut out, got out of control or something. And um, then we read the headline, Berlin Wall Live. And uh, every time I think about it, I get goosebumps, and. That's how I found out that the wall fell and uh, it was a very turbulent time 
we just arrived in Russia, I had to wait for two more weeks there <laughs> and weren't able to really connect with, with our families because uh, during training sessions, we tried to go to the post office. That was the only way we could um, get a, a phone call through. We didn't mind and never made it. So uh, all we were left with was um, just in uh, newspaper information we got from, from the Russians, which we translated and they didn't say us a whole lot about what, what really happened. So we were really worried. Um, was it peaceful? Would it stay peaceful? Would it be overturned? So it was a very, very uh, nerve wracking and exciting time at the same time. Um, when we arrived in Berlin, Schönefeld, uh, my sister lives in Berlin. So she came to the airport and brought me a big map of newspaper clippings, which we read on the uh, bus ride home to Oberhof. And I've never experienced anything like it because usually you're all, you know, like a lot obnoxious, loud music. But um, at that ride home, we all read the newspaper clippings and people cried and were laughing. And it was just a really, um, really beautiful and uh, fantastic time. All right, I know that was, thank you. <laughs> before the wall, before the Berlin Wall came down, the East German State Police, otherwise known as the Stasi, kept records on everyone. Much of this information came from neighbors, teammates, teachers, friends, and even family members who spied on others for the Stasi in exchange for privileges or to avoid blackmail. Years after the Berlin Wall came down, these records were made public and they were given to you. You're, you got what was called your Stasi folder and, and you were able to look at that. What were your thoughts about this? Not only for you, but for people in general, but also for you. And what did you learn? Uh, it, was, it was very emotional when we got those, when I got my folder. Uh, it took quite a long time, I remember. And uh, like the fact that I would have been given injections came out of that Stasi folder because everything was just uh, diligently uh, uh, written down, but you know, everything containing to, to us as athletes, I had copied uh, postcards that I sent from the Western world to, to friends of mine. I mean, everything was just recorded. And we also found out um, which friends or family members spied on us. And it was, uh, you know, it, it certainly destroyed a lot of friendships and, and trust. Uh, as East German, you were, I think I, I would characterize myself as being very, uh, um, I don't know the word for it, but I suspicious against people. I mean, it was just in general like that, that you would be very careful with who you would open up to. And that was certainly a reason for it, but still I was very surprised to find out who spied on us and yeah, it was remarkable. <laughs> Around when the Berlin Wall fall, you decided to take up biathlon. It was difficult to get back in shape after having had stopped training for a few years while in school at Potsdam near Berlin, Germany but you suffered through it and got really fast again. Talk about the craziness of being a fast skier and a poor shot in your early years in biathlon. 
So the first few months after I came back, uh, just from, from being in college, I had a really hard time. I cried after every or during every workout because I was just so fatigued. And then uh, I had to learn how to shoot. And, you know, it, it, was, <laughs> it was quite funny. And, and the, the first winter, we were able to jump into some Europa Cup races. And I remember like missing uh, 18 out of 20 shots in, in, in one of the races. And I wasn't worried about it. All I, was, I, all I cared about was looking at the skiing time. So I was not a biathlete at all. I was just a cross country skier with a rifle on the back and, and was comparing myself constantly to, to the other skiers, but not how I shot. And it took, took me a couple of years to really get the hang of it and uh, balance the sport in the right way. So how is the biathlon training different from the training you did as a cross-country skier? I would say it was definitely less volume and more intensity. I think through the combo training of uh, skiing and shooting, uh, you have like naturally built intervals and uh, we, would, we would do that uh, the majority of the time. And so I would say more intensity and, but otherwise there wasn't much difference. You would maybe do more specific strength and, and shorter, shorter intervals in general. And a lot less distance training, right? Yes. Okay. So in 1992, you won the gold medal in the 15K, this what we call the individual race in Laces E. Can you describe your gold medal winning race and the experience of it? All right, so the, the 15K was the last race of the Olympics for us. And um, in the two other races in the sprint and in the relay, I always had to go full out because it, it was always a medal on the line. So I was extremely tired and fatigued for the, for the last race and almost didn't wanna, wanna start, wanted to give my place to a teammate. And, and then uh, I wasn't able to get the start group I wanted. Uh, I was able to select as third in my team because my, my records in the longer races wasn't that, that good. So I was a little pouty actually <laughs> and decided oh, I'll just go in the first start group and got BIP 16. Back then it was uh, one minute start intervals. So I finished my race quite early. Uh, so uh, my mindset was, you know, I'm, I'm tired and all uh, depends on today is my shooting. And I was able to really concentrate on my shooting and uh, try to ski as efficiently and, and clean as possible. So the first three shooting stages, I, I shot clean. And the last shooting, the offhand shooting, I missed my 19th shot. So only one, one shot for the whole race, which was a remarkable result for me at the time. And I knew that I had a medal on the line for sure. So the last loop was probably the, the hardest thought loop of, of my whole life because the Lesesee uh, course was, was very, very tough at the end. It was, I think, almost 1K just uphill. So I collapsed in snow, which I never did after, I think. Just, you know, just straight out collapsed in the snow and had to wait for a long time to see if my time would hold up. and. And then I found out and was overjoyed. 
of course. And uh, but something weird happened. Like the the same night, the day was very, very turbulent, of course. And but then I laid in bed at night and was like, uh, I don't know. I was like between being happy and sad. Uh, weird feeling uh, on a day where you would think you reached the highest goal of your life. But it was kind of like a little letdown all of a sudden. So it was a weird feeling. Um, for the listeners, Auntie Up won two more silvers in Lace's E, and she also won another silver in Lillehammer, 94. So Auntie, which is your favorite Toko glove model and why? Oh, hands down, the Winter Rider. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, I, since I wear the Winter Rider, I haven't had one day of cold hands, which was constantly the case the years before. So I, I totally love it. And I also, when it gets really, really cold, then I wear the uh, Tuesday's Thermal Mitten. But I think 90% of the time, I just ski with a Winter Rider. So that's the Winter Rider, which is actually a glove that I designed for riding bicycles in the cold, in cold weather. That's why it's called the Winter Rider. But it's also fantastic for skiing in. And then the other one, the mitten that she wears when it's really cold is called the Toasty Thermal Mitten, which is a, a very soft, supple, and very uh, insulated mitten. Very popular. Okay. Auntie, what are your observations regarding Nordic skiing in the United States in general and the success of our current national team, both on the elite and junior ranks? I, I have to say, through you, through your work, of course, I, I was able to meet a lot of skiing personalities, uh, a lot of master skiers and, and athlete skiers, uh, full-time athlete skiers. And I have to say, I, I have a ton of respect for, for the U.S. skiing community. And uh, I have to say that the U.S. has more well-rounded athletes, I think, on the, on the um, com competitive level, for sure. Uh, we were, as kids, very early specialized for, for the sport cross-country skiing, but I think the U.S. skiers have, you know, many different backgrounds and are very talented in, in many other sports, and it seems like a very tight-knit community. Um, I, I'm really happy every time you watch the races on TV, the World Cups, how, how well the US athletes do, of course. And I think it is due to other nations having to uh, do without or with less doping. So I think uh, it's just going to get better and better for the US athletes. Super. I, I hope so, too. What do you know now that you wish you had known when you were 18 years old? Um, I always lacked uh, self-confidence. I would say I'm good enough. I'm, I mean, the, the way I am, I'm, I'm okay. And also because um, of our, of my competitiveness, I, um, I didn't try many new things. So I always thought I, I fail, I'm, I'm a failure if I try something and, you know, can't really do it. But I think that it was a mistake. I, I would like to, I would have liked to try other things to develop other interests. Cool. What is something about you that might surprise people if they were to find out? 
Um, I was uh, I was very artsy in, when I was in college, and that's when I started to write a lot of poems. <laughs> uh, so that's something I I find joy in, and I I do quite a lot. Hmm. I enjoy the poems you write for me on our anniversary sometimes and on my birthday sometimes. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Do you have a mantra or philosophy that can be summed up in a few words? Yeah, I would definitely say uh, come what may and love it is my, my mantra. I really um, had to learn over the years to be more, more patient and to take things as they come and to be grateful for what I have. So, so definitely um, that's something I try to stick to. And then um, don't worry about things that might not happen. Uh, this kind of attitude, I, I say that to myself a lot and it helps me. Super. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed this talk with Antje Harvey. She's representing Germany. She is an Olympic individual gold medalist in biathlon, as well as she won two silvers in Alberville and another silver in Lillehammer. She also carried, it was, she was the uh, flag carrier in the closing ceremonies in 1992 Olympics for Germany. And as I mentioned, she's now a proud American. She became an American citizen in 2000. And um, it's been obviously something I'm, I'm very, very grateful for and always will be that she's my wife. And I was so grateful to have met her on the World Cup and have brought her home with me. You might find interesting that um, her second language is not English, but rather Russian. And so when we met, we spoke only German. And since we've lived in the United States, we continue to speak German, not because she can't speak English, obviously, but because it seemed like a good compromise, her coming to the United States and us speaking German. And also it's been really great for our children because they're, they grew up with German as their first language and they're bilingual or, and more than bilingual now. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed the evening with this beautiful Antia Harvey, my wife. Thank you very much for being here, honey. Thank you, honey. It was, it was fun talking. <laughs> okay, I'll see you in a couple minutes. Bye-bye. Yeah, see ya. <laughs>